Wolves fans, a new era is here and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coaching the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner. Timberwolves podcast. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome to the latest episode of The Coach and the Crooner. My name is Julius Collins. That would make me the crooner. And I'm with Coach Frank Sintwale. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Man, I'm doing great, sir. Uh, other than the fact that it is uh, sub-zero out here, <laughs> seriously. And I haven't felt my toes in three days, except for when I'm in the house under the blankets. <laughs> but other than that, man, you know, and, and, and the Timberwolves are about like the weather right now. Cold, and then they'll warm up for a little bit and then get cold again. So. Well, this is Minnesota, so some of that is thematic. You <laughs> yes, know what sir. I'm saying? But, you know, it is the holiday season, so happy holidays to you and, and everybody. Happy holidays, Super Producer Lloyd Leon. Yes, sir. Um, so this is sort of a holiday edition of, of The Coach and the Crooner. Yes, and as, as often, we will just kind of like take in the most recent uh, series of events mm-hmm. and kind of assess and then move it forward going beyond that. We're Talking about the Timberwolves coming yes, in off of two straight losses, mm-hmm. um, one to the Dallas Mavericks, and then last night losing to the Boston Celtics. And there seems to be a theme that that continues with this team. And so I really do want to get into our own theme, which is little things. Yeah. And to me, I think the, that problem persists. So. What did you see in the last couple few games with this team and and the little things that just seemed to not be getting done still? Well, we talked about it in the very first podcast that we did together, and we talked about um, for this team to be successful, will they have matured enough on the basketball court to do those little winning things, valuing possessions, boxing out, controlling their backboard, um, playing together, getting the good shot versus the hero shot. Um, and we're starting to see that, especially against the quality teams in the league that do those things, that this team still has some growing up to do. Um, the rebounding continues to be a problem. And uh, Coach Finch called it out last night in probably the most direct way that I've heard him do it since he's been here. Um, and he pretty much called out the guards in the wings. And this uh, is something that, that you brought up last pod. Yeah. And frankly, that we've been Hard talking enough. about for, for a minute here. Yeah. And to me, him doing that, mm-hmm. um, wasn't just a message to the guards who, who have consistently not done this. Now, Ant has maybe been the exception to the rule in, in many cases. He's been rebounding the ball, but Jaden and, and D'Lo and Jalen and, and these guys have not been getting the ball. So to me, that was also a message to management. Yeah. If these guys don't, and I've got to believe as a coach, he's, he's showing them box out videos. You before in our pre-production meeting, you, you mentioned a box out by Marcus Smart on mm-hmm. D-Lo. Last night. Yeah. If you were a coach, I mean, you, you talked about it like it was epic. 
because I did not see the game last night as I was doing a play. And um, so I'm coming into these pods a little bit without the information that I would really like to have. But I trust you when you say that there was an epic box out. And if you're a coach, don't you just show that over and over again, if only just to say, look, look. Yeah. He didn't even get the ball, is what you said. He yeah. didn't even get the ball. But but the message of boxing out and the importance of it seems to be lost on this squad. Well, that's the difference between an Eastern Conference championship team and a team that's still trying to figure out how to win in this league. Um, you know, it, it's it was a play, it was fourth quarter, and it was a play that, you know, it wasn't anything the announcers mentioned. Because it's how I watch the game. A lot of times I'm watching stuff that's happening, not just following the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those things that I'm sure probably most viewers of the game didn't even notice. It was a simple thing, but it was indicative of why that team is where they are and why the Timberwolves are still trying to get to that level. Uh, it was a long shot. I want to say it was from Ant, but I, I'm, I don't quote me on that, but it came from the right wing. I know that much because Digo was crashing from the opposite left side corner, which is what you're supposed to do. Okay. It's yeah. Not taken from the right. Generally, if it's going to bounce, it's going to bounce along to the other side of the rim. And Marcus Smart turned and met him just outside the lane, put a forearm in his chest the way you're supposed to, put him on his back and held it and kept him there. And the ball didn't happen to come down to Marcus Smart, so I don't think he got the rebound. But Digo definitely didn't get the rebound. <laughs> Which and, is the lesson. That's not a knock on Digo because Marcus Smart just did what his job was to do. And how many times have we watched the Timberwolves guards and wings, especially if they're low man or if they're opposite the shot taken, they just turn. And they go walk into the paint and stand there and wait for the ball to come down. And somebody comes in from behind them or comes in from underneath them and gets an offensive rebound. Or the ball bounces over their head and they get an offensive rebound. Um, and that's really indicative of what's going on. I mean, we, you know, so there's, that's one little play from last night's game. Um, I can go all the way back to the, Clippers game on their last road trip we were talking about earlier and I even tweeted it uh, I said you know these last two plays that happened back to back actually are indicative of why this team is struggling why they're a 500 team and one of them was a play in which Jaden McDaniels is guarding Paul George Paul George takes a deep uh, left wing three-point shot and Jaden McDaniels contests as he should and after he contests he turns to watch the ball, and while he's watching the ball, he's drifting away from Paul George. I don't even think he was drifting up the court. I think he was drifting more toward the baseline, just in a total... Well, that's counterintuitive. Right, and there was nothing... That would draw him there. ...basketball right. about it. It was something you would expect little kids to do, right? When I say little kids, I mean middle school and down. Mm-hmm. Um, and just watching as he drifts toward out of bounds and toward the baseline and the ball bounces and it comes right back to who Paul George. They get a second chance opportunity. They score off that second chance opportunity. There was no reason for Paul George to get that rebound. He wasn't even crashing. It's just because Jaden McDaniels made no attempt to even acknowledge him after he shot the ball, the ball bounced right back to him. Then they come down. It was either the next trip or two trips later. And inexplicably Jaden McDaniels, 
leaves Luke Kennard to basically do what we call sellout help. That's when you just leave your man and you totally go out and you close the gap and help on the ball. And the Clippers obviously make the simple pass to Luke Kennard, who buries the three. Chris French calls a timeout. Because that's not a guy you help off of. And I'm sure that's in, and, and I mean, come on, man. I'm sure that's in the scouting report. Of course it was. I mean, so you, you, so my question is, what would make Jalen Noel leave him? What what would precipitate that, that, that movement away from a guy who is, I mean, that is his skill set. Two things. He's a shooter. Basketball immaturity and trust. Well, the basketball to- immaturity part comes from you just got to know that's your scouting report and your job is to not leave that man. If anything, you can do a one step stunt and then you immediately sprint back whether he's getting the ball or not. That's just basic basketball IQ stuff and on the scouting report. But the other part is trust. Trust that the guy who's guarding the ball is going to force that guy into a difficult shot. So I don't need to overhelp. So. You know, it, it's, it's both of those things. And, and those two things, I think, are a function of two of the biggest problems when you talk about little things mm-hmm. with this Timberwolves team. Immaturity, valuing possessions, doing the little things, boxing out, knowing your scouting report, understanding, you know, Ant last night, you can't close the gap so hard that you overhelp and then they make the kick out pass and then the guy you're guarding gets a straight line drive and instead of moving your feet and trying to cut an angle, you let him go and decide to try to reach around from behind and poke the ball away and then you don't get it and now your big man comes up and helps and then they kick it out to the corner for a wide open corner three. You can't do that. That's just basketball. That's just lack of, lack of attention to detail, lack of winning effort, immaturity, and we're talking about 21-year-olds and 23-year-olds still. um, Okay, well, in in my mind, yes, we are. And specifically, and and Jaden, we want want Ant to make more mature decisions. Jant, I like that. Maybe we can combine (laughs) them. And Jaden, just Jant. Jant is this team's future, right? So so the caveat for that is these guys have flaws – even though they're making, you, there are obvious strides that are happening with both of those Absolutely. teams, right? So Absolutely. I, I have confidence in their ability to grow into winning players as, as much as they are talented and you can see their, their growth in their personal games. Mm-hmm. You can see that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's not hard to miss. Well, I should say it's hard to miss. But what I don't see or what I don't feel it's like there's an adult in the room anymore. Right. On the court, in that locker room, and I'm right. not talking about Chris Finch because I think Chris Finch's messaging is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's confused about what he wants. And yet what I see is a consistent lack of delivering on what he wants. And you have a theory that I just want to get into because I have questions around it. And that is your big brother Middle child theory as it relates to the leadership in that locker room and on the court. So let's get into that a little bit. Well, I I feel like, um, and this goes back to that guy that as long as the Timberwolves continue to play this immature brand of basketball, um, what I call consistently inconsistent, um, the name Pat Beverly and his impact on culture last year is going to keep coming up until they make that name go away. Um, and And I have to confess, I had real hopes that – 
the lessons learned from Pat Bev, right? Terrible. They're very specific. What is your job description? What is your job description? Right. You know, that kind of shit is really crucial to helping crystallize mm-hmm. um, people's roles on a, on a squad. You know, he says, that's, my job is to be an energizer. My job is to play defense. I mean, it's, right. that's a very specific job description. I thought that that would, that kind of information would carry over with mm-hmm. with Cat and Dilo specifically, but I thought Ant would really be a major uh, like recipient of that that wisdom. I I don't know how I feel about the Ant part of that, but I don't feel that from from the two supposed like leaders on the squad. Go on. Well, well, definitely um, they have the tenure in terms. If you start talking the salary hierarchy, those two have the tenure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rudy's got the bag, but he got the bag from Utah. And so, you know, Cat and Digo have the tenure and the salary hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about it and Pat Bev to me was the older brother, big brother, the okay. oldest child, big brother. Okay. Right. You know, the, the, the big brother that really had the responsibility for the longest amount of time has had the most life experience. You know, maybe had the most like responsibility dropped in his lap by the by the parent. Right. And, and so therefore had it the hard way. You right. know, you're talking about Pat going over to Europe and playing and playing in the G League. Then, you know, that's the big brother that the parents were still trying to establish themselves in society. So everything got dumped on him. Right. Um And so Pat, he's like a surrogate parent or a third parent. He's the big brother that was in the house when the parents were gone working two jobs. He was, he was the one doing the babysitting, right? Right. Yeah. He was the babysitting. Cook, cooking brother. lunch and, and dinner. Right, right. And to me, um, Digo and Kat are more like the middle brother, big brother, right? They remember what it was like to be the youngest child at one point in time. They got a little bit of that youngest child coddling. First overall pick, second overall pick, AAU superstars, McDonald's All America superstars, you know, Basically, um, you know, Digo gets drafted by the Lakers. Cat gets drafted first overall, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their grooming style, I think their, their, their big brothering style is a little bit less hands on, a little bit less parental, right? And I, I, as I'm trying to put together kind of how the culture was impacted by Pat Bev and looking at these really young guys in Jaden and, and, and then just being an educator and looking at young people in society mm-hmm. today and the mentality of young people in society, I think that really cool, but parental style, big brother had more of an impact than I want to say that I gave it credit for. Um, Hmm. And, and, you know, and I got some friends who argue with me on Facebook who I give them their dues. They absolutely talked about how this team was going to miss Pat Beverly in that way. Mm-hmm. And much like yourself, I felt like, look, if Dilo and Cat aren't ready to take that leadership and responsibility mantle at this stage of their careers, then maybe they'll never be ready. But then I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, yeah, maybe they'll never be ready because that's just not their personality because that's not their journey. And maybe this team does need, as you talked about, kind of maybe not Pat Beverly's necessarily 
style of delivery, but that same cultural impact, or maybe they just absolutely need that style, that oldest big brother that will still whoop on little bro when little bro needs a whooping. Okay. So, I mean, (laughs) I feel like I obsess about um, my ideal archetype. Yeah. But last night they played the Celtics Mm -hmm. and we discussed their backcourt. Mm hmm. And we discussed their backcourt's mentality, their mm-hmm. energy, their focus on winning mm-hmm. as the number one goal. The so, smart box out being a perfect example. There you go. Under, so, if Cat and D'Lo, and in this case, I, I feel my lens going more and more to D'Lo, but this obviously, you know, relates to Cat. Mm-hmm. If those two guys. If we are the sum of our life experiences, mm-hmm. and their life experiences have, have basketball experiences, their the basketball yes, equate them absolutely. As men Let me to be specific. We're talking about basketball. But I'm talking about life experiences as it relates to the human regular human uh, life experience. But in this case, basketball, basketball life experience. Yes. Their life experience has not led them on those roads. They right. haven't seen. You know, those unpaved roads like Pat Bev has. Right. Now, I don't know that it requires a guy who has, I mean, Marcus Barton and uh, the, the, the white, uh, Derek White. Derek White. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember where they were drafted, but one thing that is unforgettable about both of them is their mentality. Derek White played for, for, for Pop, like you said. He has a, he understands winning first. Marcus Smart is a winner. Yep. He hasn't won a ring, but everything that he does is geared towards winning a ring. Mm-hmm. You don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals without that kind of mentality. So if, well, he was a bulldog in college. Yeah, he was. He's, know, yeah, he's always been know. pissed off. I love a pissed off player. <laughs> yeah, he's, so, he's, he's a little gruff. <laughs> give me somebody who's pissed off and focused, and that pissed offness doesn't result in ridiculous behavior on the court. Right. Bad. Although Marcus Smart can sometimes, you know, he can be, be crazy. But, well, <laughs> it's a fine line, man. I, I remember Mad Max from Houston. Yeah, you know what I mean. That edge, though, is a, the sort of thing that kind of like galvanized an energy. Mad Max got a couple rings. Mad Max got ring cred because he brought that that nasty and Sam Ca- crazy. and Sam Cassell brought that <laughs> that confidence and that, but that crazy <laughs> man. I like I like a little crazy in my life, and so. I don't get that enough, right? Pat Bev is obviously the epitome of that in terms of his on-court energy. As a coach, what are you thinking when you realize that your messaging simply just isn't landing and or being carried out for whatever the reason behind it? Now, again, we'll give Jant a little bit of a pass in there, but I realize... The issue with Jaden not rebounding is real and cannot be avoided. I feel like you've seen obvious growth in Ant and his emphasis on rebounding when he does it. I mean, he doesn't always make the brightest decisions in that and around that. But you see intentionality around his rebounding. But leadership is the sort of thing that... While you're working out all the other stuff, the leadership is the energy that gives you the energy to work on or at least to be attentive on those things. And so we don't have that on this team. No, and and it's been brought up on more than one occasion, whether it's Timberwolves Twitter, whether it's our wonderful beat writers that cover the team, whether it's Chris Finch himself um, still looking for that. And I don't know that. 
I don't even know that you could bring somebody in this year that can take on that role because that also takes relationships. Yeah. Um, and so and or uh, a, hit, a body of work that would follow you. Right. Right. I mean, let's let's be honest. Dennis Rodman is not putting on a Timberwolves <laughs> uniform and coming in here and says, watch how this is done, guys. Um, okay. You know, um, so I think that they're going to have to continue the work in progress and develop it throughout the season. And this is why when in our last podcast we talked, I said the last 40 games are going to be the most interesting to me because I just as much as I don't think this level of inconsistency can sustain. And I mean, inconsistency in shot selection, inconsistency in ball movement, inconsistency in rebounding approach, inconsistency in transition defense approach from game to game. Um, you know, this team tends to right now live and die with whether or not shots are going in. And that's not sustainable uh, for winning consistently. So we got a squad that in their minds Winning is predicated on the ball going through the net. Yeah. And, and, that's and, a problem, right, Coach? And, and last night, last night is exactly why that's a problem. This is a team that shot 50-something percent, I think 52% from the field last night. Um, but as I was watching the game, um, I had that the disconcerted emoji on my face. <laughs> the, 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 the dissatisfied emoji on my face. That's his coach face. I mean, that's just running if, coach face. But if coach has that face all the time, yeah, that means good. he sees or she sees mm-hmm. things that are worrisome throughout the course of the game that you know if you can't get this cleaned up throughout the course of the game, it's going to bite you in the butt in the end. Um, And so last night while the Timberwolves were, you know, making, making shots. some shots. You know, and especially in the third quarter, Ant caught fire and they had a six point lead when they should have had a 16 point lead. They had an eight point lead when they should have had a 20 point lead. (laughs) And I'm looking at how many open misses that the Celtics had. And I'm then looking at how many bad possessions, whether it led to a turnover, whether it led to a really tough shot make or whether it led to uh, an ill-advised shot. Um, miss. And I'm just like, yeah, they're not opening this up and letting the Celtics hang around and the Celtics are not going to miss these shots all night long. And I'm watching it play out. And so when Jalen Brown, when, when I'm watching Nas Reed guard Jalen Brown on the left wing and I'm watching the space he's giving Jalen Brown who couldn't hit the broad side of a barn all night long. Um, and I'm watching that spacing. And I'm understanding rhythm, and I watch him rise up and hit that shot with rhythm. I Pause. Say, oh, they're in trouble. Is Rudy in the game in th- at this moment? Yeah. Okay, so, so that's no an ex- inexcusable, right. right? So not to be up on him. And and to me, in this again, this is also a lack of game plan. To me, there's got to be a game plan as to where you're going to force guys. I know Jalen Brown's been struggling to shoot the ball, but I'm pretty sure that the scouting report is not to play off. Jalen Brown. <laughs> right. Because no, he's consistently a pretty good shooter. Right. And so to me, there's got to be, we're trying to force guys a certain direction. And I just didn't see that from Nas. And as soon as Jalen Brown rose up and hit that shot, I went, here we go. 
And the next thing you know, the floodgates open and now he hits another one and now Horford hits one. And, you know, and then Chris Finch says after the game, well, yeah, they, they made some three point shots and that's where they got separation. And then he immediately goes to, but our transition defense wasn't very good in the fourth quarter and it wasn't all night long and our, and the rebounds are just killing us. And so what he's really saying is, yeah, we all see that Boston made some shots that they were missing earlier in the game, but the only reason they had the opportunity to take the game, take the bull by the horns is because our rebounding was atrocious and our defense was atrocious throughout the night. And we weren't focused on those things being a problem because we were making shots. They tightened up on their defense. Our shot selection consequently got worse. And then they started making the shots that they weren't making earlier in the game. And all of a sudden you go from, you know, a two point game going into the fourth quarter to, uh, what, you know, a 13 point loss or whatever it was, 14 point loss. As a, as a person, I think I probably like shade more towards the pessimist than the optimist. As a fan, um, I, I have a logical brain and then I have a fan brain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. this, <laughs> this, this season started for me with initially I, I was, I, if you recall, I was not in favor of the Rudy thing. And it, it's like anybody but Rudy. Mm-hmm. I wanted the dude who went to, I wanted, I wanted DeJounte Murray. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted him for a very specific reason mm-hmm. because to me, he meets the criteria of the type of, the type of dude I want, mm-hmm. right? Although he's max, he's max dude, but I think that dude, uh, exists in different incarnations, maybe not that good. But, so, but I, I became very optimistic about, like, like, Finch finding a fit and I was optimistic about the Pat Bev energy kind of remaining somehow magically in, in that locker room. Um, none of these things have happened yet. Um, we yeah. don't yet. And I say yet because, I again, I will always say this. I do trust Chris Finch to make sense of things. But I have to believe that there is real frustration with something as basic as boxing out and rebounding consistently and taking bad shots that lead to momentum for the other team. Little things, again, um, are the difference between good and great. Absolutely. In any any art form. Or so, average and really good as the Timberwolves are teetering between average. Okay, well, I'll say this. It's little, really things, it's little things that are the difference between being average and good. Right. That leap from being good to great is very detail-specific. Absolutely. And this and team is... talent. This team is... Well, <laughs> okay, let's give that as a, as a built-in uh, pr- uh, premise there. But I don't get the sense that this coach, after last night's presser, is convinced... Maybe I'm wrong uh, in his ability to get that message through to this group. Now, you've said this. There's nothing that can happen uh, this season, presumably, that will change that dynamic. I don't know if I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I, I get that in theory. I'm not, I mean, obviously, that would involve moving somebody or some kind of situation like that. And the people that you would be able to move wouldn't necessarily bring back that dude. Maybe. Maybe. But Boston has three of them. Yeah. They have three of them. Yeah. They have Matthew Brogdon. They have Derek White. They have Marcus Smart. Kudos to their front office. They have three of those dudes. Mm -hmm. I just want one of those dudes. (laughs) I just want one of those dudes, and I want them to be mad. Mm -hmm. Because mad dudes, you know, that's that's the squeaky wheel. That's going to get oiled up. That's going to get listened to. I don't want no more like get along dudes. I want somebody that's going to be in there and 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 ruffle some feathers 
and going to bring that energy to every MF and gang. I, I, I feel like there's too much cutie stuff still. And, and last night you were, you were explaining to me, like you look at the box score and Ann had 30. But if you tell the story, it was some bad shots. It was some, I'm going to impress East Coast media. To me, that's a maturity thing. Mm-hmm. Now, some dudes never grow out of that. He will. But I do get the feeling he'll grow out of it. And I, the fan mind in me wants to believe that Jaden will eventually maximize his talent and learn how to he rebound. He will. Uh, based on your description of Cat and D'Lo, mm-hmm. to me that's problematic. Because those two, as long as those dudes are in this locker room, they will essentially be the energy by which this team will be measured. Am I wrong? It depends on who else is in the locker room. I mean, well, because okay, last year okay, they were sure. not the energy by which the team was measured. But I think that was a matter of deference. Now we've gone another year now without that, and those dudes in their minds are kind of the 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 indicator or the people who are doing the you know behind the scenes work. I would I would think. I yeah. I mean I know you got I know you got uh, you got I almost said Tayshawn Prince. Um, uh, Prince. You got Tori and Prince, and mm-hmm. you and, and you got you know. You, you have some guys. You got that, Doc's kid. Yeah. You got dudes in there who aren't afraid to speak, and, and, and for the most part, are intelligent in the way they deliver the information. But I don't get the sense that their energy is pervasive as much as Pat Babs' energy was so obvious. You don't have the guys that around the league are respected as dogs. So you know, you you look at you look at some of the players that have rub people the wrong way even that have come through here i.e. Jimmy Butler you could even say mm-hmm. a Patrick Beverly mm-hmm. one thing you don't question is those dudes willingness to do whatever Ever it, it takes. takes to win um you look at your winning programs you look at um Golden State and let's be honest Draymond Green mm-hmm. for whatever can punch you in the eye even if you're on his team even if you're on his team Michael Jordan punch you in the eye Kevin Garnett punch you in the eye Kevin Garnett punch you in the eye probably missed the eye and got the cheekbone but you you know Jimmy Butler you know like you got some guys that you know and I think that the rest of the league kind of just doesn't respect um, any of the energies um, on that Timberwolves team from that perspective. And to a certain extent, I would even say the officials. Well, um, clearly. Um, but let me backtrack a little bit. Jade McDaniel said something in his post-game presser when asked about rebounding. And and one, he just, to me, he wasn't as angry about it as I felt like he should have been. Uh, his personality with the media is very soft-spoken mm-hmm. and few words, but he talked about, you know, well, we had done some drills in practice that were focused around rebounding and, and, you know, maybe we need to get back to some of that and yada, yada. And that bothered me because not that they had to do some drills in practice centered around rebounding, but the fact that they have to get back to it. It's, it's, it's not complicated. If you know what needs to be done, for your team to create consistent winning, you should not have to be reminded to do those things if you are about winning. Period. Okay, so again, I don't want to go... I don't want to... understand they're 21. Yeah, I don't want to go into uh, 
But little things. <clears throat> but we are talking about little things, and I'm, uh, I, I don't want to give Jant, since we're going with it, a pass on the little things, because again, I think that if somebody was on this team that would say, Jaden, man, listen, <laughs> I gotta have eight from you tonight. Every night I gotta get eight rebounds from you, bro. I mean, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to, whatever you need to do to get me eight rebounds at the end of this game, I need you to do it. That, so the Andre Iguodala on Wiggins effect. Yes. The, yes. Because Wiggins was not a rebounder here. He was not season. using his athleticism to go get it, to be the defender that he could be. He was not maximizing the winning habits that created championship basketball. And Andre Iguodala won and Draymond Green 1A was like, look here, little brother. <laughs> yeah, man. This is what's not going to fly around here. I watched Wiggins come off the court last year at one point. Andre Iguodala was in street clothes. Mm-hmm. He ran up to that mug, and it was just like, I thought he was going to fight him. Now, on the flip side, who on this team has a history of winning cred, championship cred, that can demand that because they've done it. And that's also, even though Pat Bev had never won a championship, like he said, I ain't never missed the playoffs as long as I've been in the league. That to me says, this is I how want, you win. This is about winning. This is how this you, is this is about how you winning. win. So, and, and going back to what we talked about in terms of them being so offensive minded, their, their, their energy, their impact, their focus of the game being so shot and scoring minded, Going back to, again, listening to the broadcast last night, two things that stuck out to me about the Celtics. Jim Peterson mentioned, one, that uh, Missoula, Joe Missoula, the, the uh, interim coach, I believe still, of the Celtics, said that while they'd been struggling on their losing streak that they had going into last night, mm-hmm. that the only positive that he's been able to find is that the defense was consistent. And he, uh, Jim Pete also talked about Brad Stevenson, Saying Stevens, Brad Stevens. Thank you. Um, when he asked him, when did you know this team had championship, you know, DNA ability? He okay. said, whenever, when we got Derek White, whenever we put him on the floor, I knew we could be a championship team. Now, wow. basketball fan goes, well, what does Derek White wow. do? But I get it. Brings, well, he comes from pop system, winning where, culture, winning culture where the little things are everything. And they frankly and it, are the, the thing that determines whether or not you will play or not. And, and right. And they had that Boston already had their dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. They had their veteran big man. Yeah. They had their defensive minded guard. And what they brought in was somebody who filled in that gaps with tough defense, timely shooting and a, a, Approach to the little things that impacts winning almost like us. If, if we've talked about this many times, if Jordan McLaughlin was 6'4, yeah, ideal, ideal, you know, and because he just plays winning basketball, if he, he never gets outside Tony of Parker himself. size. If he was 6'1, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so that's you know, and and where does this team get that and find it? I don't know if your defensive standout. Small forward is averaging 3.4 rebounds a game. And after a game in which you were out rebounded by 20, he talks about just having to go back to practice and 
focus on that again when this has been a problem for years. Okay, but as a coach, um, and you and I talked about what's going on with you um, in Richfield right now mm-hmm. on your break. You're going to revisit things. Now, this is different, mm-hmm. but as a coach, your situation is, is unique because you got two weeks, essentially, is that about right? Yeah. Break. So you're going to really be able to deconstruct and analyze and focus on points of emphasis. You think it's bad that he brought up they need to go revisit fundamentals as it relates to rebounding because they shouldn't have to do that. But let's just say if they did that, Mm -hmm. if they did revisit that, would we see market improvement this season? I think what the habit and the trend shows is that for a couple games, two, three games, so maybe. our consistent inconsistent squad is just doesn't have any sustainability as it relates to the little thing. And I think this is where as fans, um, and I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Let it rip. This is where as Timberwolves Twitter goes crazy talking about some of them talking about how much we need pet Pat Beverly back. I agree with that because there's an accountability piece but at the same time, this is where as fans, we get um, a little bit over enthused about, um, and it's a dreaded word we say that we don't say at Richfield. We, we say not to say it, potential. Okay. Because potential just simply means you haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. And... When we see the highlight potential, when we see Jaden McDaniels on ball hawking defensively, when we see Ant, you know, go for a near triple double mm-hmm. or put up numbers that nobody, you know, three or four players have ever put up in history. Intoxicating it's stuff. It's intoxicating stuff. And we forget that these guys are still really young and they are counted on being the linchpins, mm-hmm. especially with Cat out. Mm-hmm. For winning basketball in the NBA and learning how to win is a process and learning the significance of checking off and tracking a ball down, learning the significance of keeping your man in front of you when you go from off the ball to on ball. When you, you know, Ed did this a number of times last night. It was driving me crazy where he's shortening the, shortening the gap, the driving lane. He's shortening the gap. So he's leaning off of his man and shortening the gap for the guy he's helping. So, you know, if, if, if Digo's garden, Derek White at the top of the key, I'm just throwing this out as an example and Ant's garden, you know, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown on the wing mm-hmm. or um and Ant's kind of cheating in the gap mm-hmm. so that they can't sh- penetrate that gap. Mm-hmm. Well, when they make that early pass so that instead of really driving into Ant and making the pass, they're catching him cheating in the gap and they're making they're a swing chest pass, giving up early. Okay. Ant's got to take an angle that keeps his man in front of you. He can't let his man straight line drive. And then try to reach around from behind and then stand and watch the end result. Because you know what Timberwolves Twitter does when that happens? <laughs> oh, Conley needs to be fired. Rudy Gobert sucks. It, you know, <laughs> why do we even trade for this guy? He's not blocking shots. These are NBA players. Rudy can't be the answer for straight line drives, one, two dribble straight line drives, and then recover out to corners and or 
contest and then recover back to box out and get a rebound on the weak side. It's not possible. And we see Rudy every day now as Timberwolves fans. So we're criticizing all of these things that have probably been a part of his game all along. And it takes team and it takes system. And the NBA is about guards and wings. There is not a dominant big man that has won an NBA title since Shaq. Okay, so before that, I just want to revisit kind of like some of the commentary around this team after Rudy was brought here. We have better athletes than Utah did on the perimeter, so that would ultimately lead to less pressure for Rudy at the rim with straight line drive. But what we're seeing is, even though this team clearly has more athleticism on the wings, what we don't see is maturity on the wings at times, at crucial times when it relates to like boxing out, or when it relates to like trying to get a steal as opposed to playing honest defense. And now the, a mature team, an intelligent team is going to see you not doing that little thing or you're doing a thing that's going to give away that you're not serious about winning. Basketball IQ, who do you give the advantage to? Mike Conley, D'Angelo Russell. Mike Conley. Basketball IQ, who do you give the advantage to? Joe Ingles, Jaden McDaniels. Well, offensively, Joe Ingles. Defensively, I'm I... talking about basketball IQ because Jaden's defensive. Joe Ingles is brilliant. Joe Ingles with his athleticism. Okay, I'm then Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is brilliant. So uh, that's basketball a IQ. Bogdanovich or Cat. Basketball IQ. Just the mind. Just the approach to how you play the game. The IQ, not okay. ability. I would think that is closer to a wash than the others because I think that intellectually. And is a really, I mean, Cat is a very intelligent player. Absolutely. But I think his lack of emotional intelligence factors into that. So in this case, and so in this case, I would go with Bogdanovich. Okay. uh, I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. Royce O'Neal and. Well, <laughs> understand. Now, I'm not talking about talent. We're not talking about ability. We're I still not, say I'm that's simply talking about how you follow game plans, how you how you navigate playing defense in a way that doesn't break down your back line. How do you follow? Fo- I'm talking about just strictly Royce O'Neal. So so, 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 so that's what I'm talking about. We talked about your sophomore squad mm-hmm. and. Not the most talented group individually, not a lot of ISO action going on, but because of that, they, y'all, you've been able to coach. They're, they're coachable and malleable, and they play. They understand what it takes to win games. That understanding. But, but yet we're two and three because ultimately talent prevails. Talent sometimes. is, is especially, <laughs> especially at that level. But my point right. is when a team has a mentality, all right, let's just, not mention that squad, but I still think this is relevant. When a team understands what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Now, oftentimes those teams have been through the trials. They, they've lost. They, they, they remember what they did wrong in those cases and, and it makes it easier to kind of make the right decision the next time around. Right. They know how to not lose a game. There's none of that obviously on this team, but I did have hopes that after playing being so competitive against Memphis that there would be like a natural kind of winning bump in, in, in collective intelligence. And I, you know, I still think what Charles Barkley says oftentimes is true. This is the dumbest team in the league. I'll just say, what lost in the series against Memphis? Well, immaturity. And basketball decision making. Yes. And uh, so again, I think it's really, Really, and, and here's the other part. So I want to put this caveat out there that 
these guys are elite level world class basketball players. Yep. And so we're making these comparisons to their peers. So I'm not going to sit here and profess that I'm a smarter basketball player than any of them. But from what I'm watching, I'm seeing that other NBA players are smarter than they are. And I'm seeing them make mistakes that as a high school level coach are things that you would expect professional players to not make from a decision-making standpoint. Okay, well, this to me, I'm not going to sit here and profess that, oh, if you put me on the NBA court, I would be out there killing. No, no nobody thinks that, all. but it doesn't mean that it, it's <laughs> like say it's like players saying that that certain people in the media can't uh, break down and analyze the sport because they never played it. I don't believe right. that necessarily. So, but I believe as a coach, right, you can see you can what, see in real time what the problems are. Now, granted, I think most fans think, oh, but I'm talking about the micro. And so because of that, I feel, I, it's, I, I don't think there are guys in that locker room who have kind of a winning mentality about the way they run Absolutely. their their business, which is their own careers. But I don't think there's a, a person in there that is jarring enough with it that it's going to like really like shake people into a mode where they realize if we don't do this shit, we will not win. I don't feel that urgency from anybody. And I know the cat is talented. And I do want to get to that in a second here about how, I mean, because Finch has cobbled together a squad minus Torian Prince, minus mm-hmm. Jordan McLaughlin, mm-hmm. minus Cat, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and. Dilo missed the game. Dilo missed the game. So, a couple games. Yeah. So he's had to cobble this thing together and he's going to have to piece it back together. So when he does, what have we learned? What has he learned? What is this? How does that jumble mess become highly functional in the amount of time we have left? Because, it, you know, the, the season begins in earnest now. We're right, right. here at Christmas. Right. It's go time. Yep. So where does he begin to tinker? And is it possible? Because I, again... I don't think as long as Cat and D'Lo are your, uh, we'll call it by default, leaders in terms of, you know, salary, in terms of talent, let's just say, and, and, and all that stuff. But. It's about just the, the, the emotional and mental approach. To I the think game. is, you know, I like both of those players. I think both of those players are immensely talented. I think D'Lo can be a clutch performer. You know, offensively. And I think that when he's engaged defensively, he can be long and, 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 uh, disruptive a little bit in the passing lanes. I think Cat is a, you know, he's a generational offensive player. He has ability that is amazing. Although I don't think that this year he shot the ball with the kind of confidence that you'd like to see him shoot the ball with. I don't think emotionally he's intelligent at all. Here we are seven years in, eight years in. So I don't know. I mean, I think this team can, I mean, the West is a jumbled, mess. And so I it's not like I don't think this team can get into the playoffs. I do still think that what well, is Cat gonna be out another ten games? He'll be out for a while longer. Yeah. And, and 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 it could be even longer, um, because this is a type of injury that you have to make sure that it's a hundred percent. He can't come back at eighty percent because you know what happens to 
calf strains that get brought back too early. Yeah, I've got a torn Achilles. Exactly, they turn into torn Achilles. <laughs> I've got one of those. <laughs> so, so, and 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 when you and when you're six ten and two hundred and fifty pounds, that's a little bit different than when, when you know when you're when you're you know six feet tall and one hundred and ninety pounds. You know, um, so. Yeah, they got so, to be careful. So that's a problem. To me, that presents a real problem, especially, especially since with they Kyle have. Kyle Anderson hurt. Yes, exactly. With um, exactly. Too, that because that guy's out. game is winning mentality. Mm-hmm. Everything about what he does is intentional. It I mean, is geared towards winning. If this team, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I fear that they're going to be some massive changes that are going to have to happen in order for the, the in order for this thing to do what it's supposed to do. I don't get the impression that uh you know, I just don't get the impression that this squad as constituted this squad as constituted has the mental makeup. I think physically I think they could do it. I think physically they have the talent the capability of like making the playoffs and you know eight seven seven eight nine ten right in there, but to me maturity wise, the result will be the same. And if the result is the same after making the kind of trade that they made for Rudy, Jimmy, changes have to be made, right? Maybe it just depends on what the result being the same looks like. If they get back into the first round and they lose 4-2, 4-3, obviously there's going to be something that's going to happen because they have a couple important guys that are in contract years, uh, Nas, Jalen, and D'Lo. Mm-hmm. So obviously something's going to happen if something doesn't happen before the trade deadline to try to take advantage of some of those expiring contracts. Um, but I also feel like I'm more optimistic still in these last 40 games. Interesting. And I think most people, if they can get healthy and, and this, and I'll tell you why, um, the young guys are only hopefully going to continue to mature a little bit more with every game. One, two, um, they have found some things that they can lean on during this time. And as a primary facilitator, I think with more spacing, which Cat provides you, mm-hmm. and more weapons around him, with which Cat provides you, um, is going to kind of help solidify the starting lineup. Because you know, when the starting lineup was struggling earlier in the year, we talked about how you know, well, the symmetry between Cat and Rudy seems to be there. The, sim- the guards are struggling to find their game. Well, I think kind of inverting Ant and Dilo or kind of letting them toggle mm-hmm. that primary ball handling duties more. Which I am liking. Yep. I think that has allowed both of them to find stretches of the game where they can get off. I feel like they were really starting to figure it out. Yeah. Um, just I, before Rudy came but, back. And right. so, well, this I, is not to not, hang on, this is not to knock Rudy being back, but what I did notice is sort of what I noticed at the beginning of the season. Um, they become bifurcated and I feel like they become like torn between, okay, pleasing two masters there. Mm-hmm. And they, and consequently they, they end up 
doing a lot of dumb stuff or taking a lot of bad, ill-advised shots, um, giving Rudy the ball sometimes where he doesn't need it or deserve it, and then not getting it to him at times when he's, he's got a great seal, right? <laughs> so um, how on earth do you sort that out? I, I think that it's sorting itself out, and I feel like they were starting to play better actually right before Cat got hurt. Um, I felt like it was starting to come. And I think that what you're going to see when Cat comes back is now you kind of have Ant and D'Lo kind of figuring out how they can get their individual games and affect the team game in a way, um, in a positive way in the mix. And then you bring Cat back and he still continues to work that symmetry with Rudy. Um, and so... I feel like now you got your starting lineup kind of working together. I feel like that's going to happen a little bit better once Cat comes back in terms of understanding. And this goes back to Finch saying, well, maybe we're going to have to put Cat in the corner a little bit more. And I got the Al Horford role last night um, where he's making top of the key threes and corner threes. So is Cat amenable to that? Is he, I think would he agree age, to that like adjustment in his I, offensive I role? Think, I think... Well, because I, that's crucial. I, I personally would believe at this stage, you know, if he comes back to a 500 team that's kind of treaded water, playing a certain style without him and being able to see how, you know, um, when Ant has 25 going into the third and yet they get off to a struggling start in the fourth quarter, primarily because they got Ant on the bench, Jalen Noel struggling. Um, and they just need another guy that can just get buckets to kind of. So you think Cat is, 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 is envisioning himself being that? Filling in those gaps, you know, they, they've Because had- I asked you this a, a, a pot or two ago. It's like, is Cat watching? And is he, you know, I mean, obviously I, he's watching, but does he, will he have the mentality that, okay, okay. I, now that I've like been taken out of this situation, I can truly assess how I can be most functional and most impactful. I think that happens. I think that it happened for is happening for Cat. I actually think that happened for Rudy, and I think that was one of the frustrating parts about last night. Was last night was a game where they just needed to feed Rudy on time under the basket when he had a seal, like not give it to him and ask him to make a post move, but. You know, there was one time, finally it came out of a timeout after Boston made a run, game's kind of out of hand. And they come out of the timeout, and Delo just throws the ball from about three feet above the top of the key, right over the top of everything to Rudy, and they got no choice but to follow him and send him to the free throw line. Right? And it's like, well, if you guys had done that three, four possessions ago, maybe you wouldn't have been down 13. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think that's one thing that Cat coming back will also do is that, okay, now when you get it to Cat in the corner, he's going to shoot the three or he's going to drive, but there's going to still be that relationship there with Rudy. And so it just kind of, you know, and again, I'm being optimistic, but I can see how that would work, especially now with Ant understanding that if I'm lead ball handler or if I can rebound and go, Early in the possessions, remember we talked about Michael Jordan, you know he's going to score in the first five seconds or the last five seconds of the shot clock. You know, I think Ant's starting to figure that out a little bit. I think Delo's figuring that out a little bit. If they can get healthy um, and the starting five can continue to gel, and then you can come back with McLaughlin healthy, Prince healthy, Anderson healthy, and really start to build that second unit back up, I just think that it's not – 
you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they finish the season, you know, 22 and 11, you okay. know, 21 and 12, somewhere like that down the stretch run and end up, you know, fighting between five and nine. They might end up with the play and maybe they end up with another home playing game. Um, cause the West is just that much of a mess that five and nine could be separated by two, three games all season. Okay. Um, I'm just optimistic that if Cat can come back healthy, that, you know, now that's also taken in account that they clean up the rebounding. They clean up. No, no, Mr. Optimistic. Don't, 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 don't give me any sidebars here. So, okay. I mean, that, let's, that's, that's the let's, ultimate sidebar. Cause, cause yeah. I'll say this and then be done with it. High school, college, pro, basketball, winning basketball comes down to these factors. Don't turn the ball over. Don't give up offensive rebounds. Play together on offense. Play with trust on defense. It's okay. that simple. Okay, like, so here we are. Just trying to figure out how to get their team to do those things here, at every level. Here we are. And, and I'm going to wrap here. But here we are. Sort of asking those same questions, and we're what thirty three uh, games in right now. Mm-hmm. We're at Christmas coming up on the Christmas uh, hullabaloo, so it's go time in this league. Um, and I said this last pod, and I'll say it again. It's it's hilarious to me that I end up being the pessimist between the two of us. That's mm-hmm. just weird, but I'm gonna roll with that because just like you think that they will figure out these little things, mm-hmm. I am of the mind. That for whatever reason, they are either not inclined to or just not equipped to do those winning things consistently enough to to give me the confidence that they, they're going to be anything other than a really talented squad without winning mentality. And to me, when I see winning mentality, it, it doesn't matter what the art form is. It is a very obvious thing. It almost radiates. And this team doesn't have enough of a consistent mentality that is focused on details like boxing out, like going to rebound the ball, like like playing with pace when necessary, like defending um, um, with some kind of ferocity. So I have I have a belief in Chris Finch that he will like he will figure out he will sew this thing together in a way that will be as functional as it can be. The question is, is how functional it can be in the West. Because right now they're sitting at 10, at 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. Right? Right behind them is the Warriors, mm-hmm. who you know. They're going to get it together. You know they're going to get it together. Mm-hmm. And the Thunder, ironically enough, are not far behind at 14, 19. The Lakers ran into some trouble. Uh, those guys, with, those with bottom AD. five teams, ain't, they're not moving up. Though you don't have to worry about them. So essentially, the Warriors are who you're focused on. And above that, are the Kings going to stay that good? At, they're sitting at six right now. So, but I think this team is still talented enough to make it into the bottom half of the West. I just feel like the outcome will be the same. You say if they they play a seven game series and they can get three games, then 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 things can be uh, a lot less easy to focus on. I think there's going to be changes in the off season just because it's the nature of the beast. I don't think there's necessarily going to be major changes, but this is why I keep saying I'm optimistic and this road trip can change a little bit of that for the short term, because this is a vicious road trip they're on, but let's just say they find a way to go one and three in this road trip, given the way the West is, they might be still in the 10 spot after going one and three on this road trip. Think about that. 
Um, so this is this is how I look at it. Yes, they're in the 10th spot at 16 and 17. They're three games out of the four spot. Mm-hmm. So, and then you say, okay, well, they haven't played a really good stretch of basketball yet. Nope. Not yet. So and you think you, this team's got a much better brand of basketball going down the stretch? I think, I, I think in the West, a four game winning streak moves you four spots. Okay. <laughs> so, you keep saying so, that, but we're talking about a team who consistently is inconsistent. So right. that four game winning streak, more than not, will be met with a four game losing streak. Completely readjusting their fate on the fly. It depends on if they're healthy. And that's why I say that I just feel like given, and I'll be the first to admit that I thought that these moving parts were going to fit more seamlessly than they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I also underestimated the, um, the sustainability of their youth. The fact that Ant and Jaden and Jalen and Nas are still going to make plays like Every single one of them made last night, especially Ant and Jalen and Nas, that'll lose you a game in the fourth quarter. All three of them made plays that'll lose you a game last night, and they lost the game. But I just feel like if they can get healthy and add the sum of these experiences of these first 40-something games together, that this last 40 games, they're going to jump the Jazz they're going to jump the Kings. They might jump the Mavericks, who I think are going to be like last year. I mean, let's be honest. The Mavericks weren't world beaters until they got into the playoffs last year. They barely made the playoffs Yeah, themselves. I don't like the Mavs in the playoffs as much as I did last year. I think Brunson, so, that extra ball handler, was a thing. So, and I, so, But I'm talking about just seeding getting there. Yes. I think the Timberwolves will probably jump the Trailblazers, who are regressing to the mean a little bit. I just think talent-wise... They, at full constitution, are more talented than the Mavericks, more talented than the Jazz, more talented than the Kings, more talented than the Trailblazers. Okay. I Now, the, those other teams ahead of them, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, I thought the Nuggets would slide back. Jokovic was like, no, that ain't happening. I thought the Grizzlies would slide back, and their coach, I love their coach, that's not going to happen. We knew the Pelicans were going to be tough. The Suns are the Suns right now, and they're kind of inconsistent themselves, but some of that has to do with injuries and yada, but clearly they're going to be there. Um, and you know the Clippers are going to get it together. Um, having said all of that, here you are. You're 16 and 17. You know the Warriors are going to make a run. I see the Timberwolves finishing, depending on what happens when they put it together, somewhere between five and seven. Okay, so let's 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 end on that note. Uh I I don't share that kind of optimism, but I will, of course, be curious to see how it plays out. Um, before we end this episode, I, I want to just give a quick shout out to the actors and musicians around the Twin Cities who have been performing tire, tirelessly for the last several months. With these, there's just been no shortage of of uh, content, holiday content out there, and people work hard. They put in hard hours. They they really. Um, do what's necessary to provide an excellent product for Twin Cities, people who go to concerts and people who go to plays and things of that nature. So I wanted to give a shout out to them, uh, cause I just really appreciate what we have here in the Twin Cities. Um, this has been another episode of The Coach and the Crooner. And we want to say special thanks to super producer Lloyd Leon. And, uh, you can check us out at 
at Coach and Cooner on Twitter. You can catch out Coach at Epson Twally. Yes, sir. And you can catch me out at uh, at The Juice Fox on Twitter. So until we get a chance to do this again, thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Check us out on whatever your uh, podcast uh, vehicle choice would be, and uh, we'll see you next round. Peace Happy out. holidays.